For Newcastle fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. Our chat system connects the Newcastle community with its public forums for supporters globally, as well as private chats with your mates. Download the free Toon Army app now from the App Store and Google Play. Hello and welcome to CHN Radio episode 163. I'm your host, Greg Troxel. You can follow me at NUFC underscore Greg. And follow this glorious podcast account, podcast network, at CHN underscore podcast. We have a jam-packed show for you once again. We're going to be talking about both in combination the uh, losses to Leeds and Villa since we haven't given you a podcast since then. We're going to talk about a lot of news that's been going on with the club and then um, BS meter and uh, something that everybody's looked looked for and dreamed of is an update on Rob Elliott. Uh, and then we'll close the show with a uh, preview of our upcoming match against Everton. So without further ado, I bring the best damn co-host in the land, sleeveless Joe Elijah Newsom. Yeah, you know, I had to rock the the no sleeves because it's cold. So that's how that works. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be back. Um, I'm not going to comment on whether or not I'm excited to talk about Newcastle. So we'll just we'll just leave it at that. But yeah, um, if you're listening to this right now and you aren't following me on Twitter, that's a damn shame. Uh, at Elijah underscore Newsom is where you can find me. Follow Greg at NUFC underscore Greg um, and follow the podcast account at chn underscore podcast and the main account at coming home in ufc um i think that if you follow at least one of those four accounts i mentioned your life will drastically improve so just pick one and follow it i mean just yeah. just just throwing that option out there for the people for the people and we may have mentioned it in passing but we haven't actually given a full full-blown announcement that it that it deserves is we you've mentioned here that that you've if you're an OG listener of the show, you've heard Brian Nelson uh, was the the head of uh, CHN, uh, the website and the site itself and the writing. But now that is in the hands of yours truly, Elijah Newsom. Not only the best damn coast in the land, but the best damn site manager in the land, oh. Elijah Newsom. We'll so- have to we'll have to see if I'm the best damn site manager in the land. But yeah, I'm excited uh, for the opportunity. Um, I promise as a site manager, I won't give uh, terribly controversial opinions like DeAndre Yedlin should be playing as a center defensive mid. Maybe we should play Mo Diame out wide. I won't say anything like that. And honestly, thinking back on it, like Mo Diame is actually the type of player Newcastle need right now. So as much as I slated Mo Diame in the past, well, not on the wing, but yeah, but like as a midfielder that is just comfortable carrying the ball forward, it's actually kind of wild how we took that for granted. Uh, by we, I mean me, because I hated Modiame 
so much, but now I, I would give anything for him to return to the team because that's just something like, especially in a, if you're going to play like a four, four, two, like he actually makes perfect sense for that role. But anyway, yeah, it, I'm the site manager. So if you want to write or do something or run socials, like hit me up because we're always looking to grow the team and we're trying to big, just build like a massive staff so that everyone has to do like one thing once every month, which would be sick because nobody likes writing a ton. <laughs> There's, uh, some people would disagree with you there. I would say terrible pitches a site manager. Hey, join our yeah. team because nobody likes writing. <laughs> uh, strike one for best damn site yeah. manager. <laughs> Uh, all right, so let's get into the last two matches of Newcastle United. Uh, the first thing I want to highlight, low light, is the terribleness that was the 2-0 loss to Aston Villa. Uh, we can just talk overarching about this. What What's some like takeaways from that match in general for you? I think it's, it's still uh, – it was very much um, like players defeated – uh, definitely the, the confidence definitely low after that match. Uh, and it's a match where the confidence was so low that you were expecting some sort of response the next match, um, which in fairness, you could tell certain players responded against Leeds. I think Fabian Cher, like, I mean, the man dislocated his shoulder and then played his ass off for 90 minutes. Like, I mean, he definitely took that to heart. Um, there's definitely still some fight in the team, which, we saw a little bit in Aston Villa, uh, but again, it was a deserved win. I don't think anyone would argue with the result of the Aston Villa, Villa match. And again, with Newcastle, it was a slow start with moments in the second half where you felt maybe there's an option opportunity for Newcastle to get a goal, not a result, a goal. Uh, but at the end, it was it's too little, too late. It was encouraging to see Alan St. Maxman back in the, in the fray, but again, too little, too late. And, uh, you know, hopefully we're getting back to a point where you can play full matches. Yeah. Um, the, the, the big things for me, the things I highlight is it, it only took 13 minutes. And it, it was coming from the beginning, from the start of the match, it was coming. Uh, Villa kind of took control. John Joe Shelley was miserable. The midfield in general was miserable, not just on John Joe. Um, and like, why, like, I don't know why, and we can get to it with Leeds as well, because actually some of our followers on Twitter, when we announced the Leeds lineup, that the, that why, why does, I think the question was, why does Steve Bruce continue to go with Hendrick and Shelby? <laughs> um, it's, it's true. And, it's, it's like the least athletic possible midfield in the world. And he's yeah. like, we're going to go with it against like extremely athletic midfields. And it's like, you're almost at a point where you're just better off not even ch like chucking in Matty Longstaff, not even because he's athletic, just because he's at least going to run hard enough to, to make some sort of difference. So yeah, it was, yeah. it's rough. Yeah. And it's uh, like, like watching um, John Joe try to cover Matt target. <laughs> it's miserable. Like mo most confident mid competent midfielders can cover Matt target, but John Joe cannot like he's yeah. way too slow now. Um, Matt Target, was almost Newcastle player. That, that Zabaleta was the is a player of West Ham that like Miguel Amaran and Alan Saint Maxman absolutely torch every time. Yes. John Joe is becoming that player. Like you don't even have to be like as athletic as Amaran or ASM. You just be like better than average of athleticism in the Premier League, and you absolutely burn him every time. 
it's like you can't even keep up anymore um but yeah it was it was just terrible like once again and this i mean the stats after this match it was 10 games without a win eight in the premier league two points from 24 uh four straight losses and all comps without scoring um and then 398 minutes since the last goal that they scored in all competitions and 776 minutes since a goal from open play. Um, and their premier league scholars run was 278 minutes and the loss dropped them to 16th place. And it was just terrible. <laughs> like all around this match, uh, there's, there was just nothing to really take from it at all. Yeah. I think the biggest wow. takeaway was that uh, people, of course you for, I guess, remember uh, like, Callum Wilson and Ollie Watkins that's that's the guy who's at Aston Villa I think yes uh they were both involved in they were both two strikers linked to both Aston Villa and Newcastle and both clubs were trying to get either one of them and looking back on it it was definitely a situation where if you know Callum Wilson goes to Aston Villa we would get Ollie Watkins and vice versa um and everyone's just like, man, Callum, you might have messed up there because uh, Villa, like, I mean, it's it's really easy to to like all has been solid for them, but no, like Callum Wilson would probably already have twelve goals if he was Villa's starting striker, like right now, because of how many chances they create. They're a really well drilled side, and um, looking back on it, it's like it's very easy to see if you're looking at it from purely a uh, results. Uh, perspective like why you would choose to go to Newcastle over Villa that I mean Villa barely scraped out on relegation but like Villa has still remained consistent in the style of play they want to play over the past two seasons um, like they've they've tried to play the attacking football that they're playing now but again it does come down to personnel and it's the exact opposite of Newcastle who have just stacked up on personnel with no style or identity or tactics and other teams like Leeds, Aston Villa, Southampton is another good example. West Ham is becoming a good example where now there is there. They are now identifying the talent to match up with the style of play they have. And they are turning out to be much better teams than, I mean, Newcastle fans and other fans in general have given them credit for. And I don't know. It's it's interesting to see because it's like you can't even throw the excuse of like we aren't spending money anymore because Newcastle have brought money. They've, they spent money to bring in players. It's just they're the person managing the players has no idea how to use them. And it's obviously frustrating because there's not really like, I don't know, this is a mid table side. If you have a competent manager, like it just is like, there's not a lot of glaring holes in, in certain areas that would cause this team to really want to need to fight for results. But yet here we are scrapping in the like in the relegation scrap at this point uh, yeah. because there's this incompetence <laughs> yeah we we essentially like um like andy carroll like we were just struggling to try to get him to the ball hitting him the ball in the box and no one could get him a, even a decent cross to even see if andy carroll could do anything on it um like with it was our wing i don't know oh yeah it was javier Minquillo. so that's one thing is DeAndre Yedlin has a visa issue now. And we, we'll, we'll talk about that later, but yeah. that's... Um, so we we played Javier Minquillo for the first time since November 
and and legit, like I we this whole time we didn't know what the hell was wrong with Javier Mankia. Yeah, like and he still remains it's he got it or not. Yeah, like like he got dropped for like no reason. Like he was yeah. playing like I wouldn't say he was playing well, but I mean like no one's playing well for Newcastle. He wasn't making any mistakes or anything like that. It just was very weird that he just out of nowhere got dropped. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, also I want to point out that like everything from the get go about that match was just wrong because um, <laughs> the like the the players we started are not players that are going to swing in balls to yeah like that... the, like you, you, I don't know like John Joe Selvi is a guy who plays those over the top balls and that's pretty much it Jeff Hendrick I mean he passes backwards and passes sideways Miguel Amro runs at players and he he crosses on occasion but he mostly runs at players and cuts inside and lays it off like that is not his play style he's not really a crosser of the ball especially when you're playing him in whatever the hell Steve Bruce is playing. I'm not even sure what he's playing at. Jamal Lewis is decent at crossing, but not great. And Javi Mankio is hit or miss on crossing. I mean, all of our wingbacks are hit or miss on crossing. As a matter of fact, Newcastle's best crosser is the player that probably does not like to cross at all. It's Jacob Murphy. He's He actually is a – he crosses the ball really well. He just, for some reason, likes to cut inside, hold on to the ball way too long. Um, so, yeah, there's that. So it's yeah. it's all backwards. It's all backwards for Bruce and what he's trying to do. And I don't know. This was his attempt at taking the gloves off, as he said beforehand, and uh, it did not go well. That ain't it. That ain't it. Uh, and it, so we'll transition now to to Leeds because I feel like the the ninety some minutes that it took uh, for us of torture to watch that Villa match, we had to go and increase that another forty five at least. And you can arguably add more to it. Uh, to, to, to this first half against Leeds. Um, again, like it took no time at all. So I think it was 17 minutes was the goal. Yeah. Um, and it was a throw in that was going towards Murphy um, inside the Leeds ha- uh, half. And then he like stumbled like clumsily and uh, Alioski passed the ball to back- Patrick Bamford and then played it forward and Rodrigo played it back to Rafinha. And there it is. Easy goal. Brazilian, smooth, like great finish, confident, one nothing, um, 17 minutes in. And you, you're, it's like, okay, we're just on repeat. Now we're going to get scored in the first 20 minutes of every match, put this thing away. Cause at this point, and it, and it still stands, regardless of how this match ended, it ended two to one. If, if I, I am at the point now with, with, with our team, if we get scored on, we will not win this game. We will absolutely not win. Like we could draw, but we will not win. We're yeah. not scoring two goals against anybody in this league. Just not, not doing that. So, I mean, at, and at this point where we're down one, nothing to leads, like I wasn't even convinced we were going to score a goal period. Um, and luckily that happened. We'll get to that, but let's, let's, let's focus on this first half again. Cause it's the same shit. It really is the same shit. Nothing like the thing is everything changes between match to match, but nothing actually changes. Like we change formation. We change players. We, we try, like he says, he changes style. He'll even throw two false tens in there for you. Nothing yeah. actually changes. It's mind boggling to me how you can just be like, Oh, let's, let's do this. We never actually know what our lineup's going to be week to week, but nothing freaking changes. I don't understand it. 
Yeah, I think with most clubs, uh, and, and Leeds is a really good example of this, and they even brought up in the, in the in the. By the way, the commentators from NBC were just awful. I mean, they were just like sucking off Steve Bruce, acting like this guy is like a manager who's world class, but but like has been cursed with awful talent that does not want to commit. Shut up! Like they they basically talked about this. I've never seen this before. They talked about how Newcastle have different lineups, and they basically said it's not Steve Bruce's fault that all these lineups are the same or, or sorry, are all these lineups are different. It's on the players not stepping up. So he's got to change the lineups to see who's going to step up. And it's just like, that's just simply not true because if you look, if you pay attention, Steve Bruce has dropped players that have seemingly played well the match before and he just drops them for, for like no apparent reason. And uh, I mean, this is a perfect example of this where leads, you kind of know who's going to start and it's maybe it's because they don't have a ton of depth. But if they're at most, most teams are going to make two to three changes. Steve Bruce made eight changes going into Villa. And then after that, he still made still made changes where it's like, it seems like that's out of the norm, but that's the norm for Steve Bruce. There's always going to be four to five names that you're just like, why? And sometimes it's due to injury, but sometimes it's just like, we've got nearly everyone healthy at this point. You kind of know, you should know who your, who your best 11 is. And you should be trying to figure out what's the style that fits this best 11. And if anything, if things change, it's because of an injury or it's because of the players got a bad run of form, but he's not even giving players the opportunity to develop any sort of form when he's dropping them left and right for no reason. Yeah. Like that's the issue is like, you can't be frustrated that um, let's say Miguel Amaron or let's say Jacob Murphy or even John Joe Shelby, even though like I want to be frustrated all the time, you can't be super frustrated with how they play when there's they're not playing week to week and they are like the players that you have said are important to you and are are like your best players it it doesn't make any sense yeah. uh and so when that happens i mean like you said he changes everything but week to week everything's the same and probably because tactically nothing has changed <laughs> meaning that we still do not have tactics yeah, you can change anything you want, but if you don't have a plan, it, it doesn't do anything. Like, like, a, like me and you, Elijah, can bring, put eleven guys on the pitch and run a four-four-two, but like, we don't have any plan. Like, yeah, yeah, we stay in position all day, but like, doesn't mean we can do anything with it. Like, we won't be able to achieve anything. Like, anybody can stand in position. It's oh, like and- what you do in the formation and what you build and what you create that that does anything, and like how you use certain positions of the field. And like how you pivot when a ball is displayed on, on the right side of the pitch, how you can make it turn it a diamond into a, a four, three, three, or whatever it may be. Like you can change things and build tactics to help your team understand. And there's clearly no resemblance to that. And at times when we're really struggling, there's no semblance of a formation even in general. So clearly you don't have any tactics built out. It's obvious. Um, oh, and, and and you talk about just identity in general. Identity is like the base point for how you want to play. Um, mm-hmm. I remember, I know Tifo released a video about like uh, Pirlo and his his time at Juventus. And like as a part of in, in Italy, to get your, your like class A license, you have to literally present a portfolio of like how you want your team to play, like tactically your identity. And like, I feel like you can't say that about any of Steve Bruce's teams in general. You have no idea how they want to play, what yeah. their identity is. Absolutely. Like all he says, he wants to play attacking football, but that's not an identity. An identity is like, oh, we would like to press, win the ball back 
in the final third and create chances from that's an identity or we want to play with possession. Like yeah. that's not what we're seeing with Bruce. identity it, is red bulls. Yeah. Yeah. And, and identity is red bulls. Identity is, is how Everton are playing an identity. I mean, it, you can go tons of ways and we Barcelona. can name, like, and mean, we're, and we're naming managers that have like complex identities with very, like we want to attack the half. Space. I don't even think Steve Bruce knows what a half space is. Um, but like, nonetheless, I think the, the most, I wouldn't say frustrating thing, but most telling thing about the lack of identity is just the fact that when you watch Newcastle play, every single player has a different idea of what they want to do with the ball. And when I, when I'm like, what I mean by that is that like, I will literally just start talking about individual players. So there is a, there's a, an element of this is how a player prefers to play, but you had like half of the time, like for example, Isaac Hayden was always looking to play the, a ball like down the right-hand side to find whoever's going to be at that right-wing spot, Jacob Murphy, in this space. The issue with that is that Jacob Murphy was looking to receive the ball in the middle of the pitch so he could dribble and cut inside. Like that can't happen where you have one player who's like, I'm going to play balls along the outside, like down the right-hand side. And essentially his balls weren't even going to Jacob Murphy. They were finding like Ryan Fraser or Callum Wilson were super in advanced positions, having to drift out of position to receive these balls or it was going out of balance. Another example is Fabian Shears trying to play balls over the top. Jamal LaSalle's is playing balls on the ground. It's like, there's no identity as to like how anyone wants to play. So everyone's just doing whatever they're comfortable doing. Jeff Hendricks, not passing the ball forward. He's just passing it side to side, keeping balls on the ground. Meanwhile, John Joe Shelby, every single time he gets the ball, is just pinging it forward, hoping someone's going to run on the end of it. So no one has any idea what the hell they're doing. And the strikers are just confused. Like Ryan Fraser, I'm not really sure what his role was supposed to be. At times it was a four, four, one, one, or like a four, four, two. And sometimes it was a four, two, three, one, but He's a player who's good at dribbling and a player that's good at crossing, but he wasn't even being put in a position to do that. And uh, I don't know. It just, it, there's not a, an identity, and that's that's the first issue. And I'm sure uh, we'll talk about this later. Graham, Graham Jones was on the sideline watching that. I'm sure that's probably the first thing he picked up on is there's no fucking identity. Like, there's, there's nothing for him to even work with to help mold. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so then let's, let's talk to the, in the second half, and I'll – Let's talk about the highlight. You, everyone knows we're, we're a Miggy podcast. We're Miggy stands. Um, it, it could be argued that we are the founders of Miggy love for Newcastle. Um, we pushed for it before it was cool. And, you know, technically you could argue that we broke the news. Like we didn't, but like this but we, did. We broke the, we broke the, the we, we made Roberto we the Rojas. breaker of news. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, it happened. Maggie scored. That was cool. Yeah. Yeah. So 57 minutes. So just barely after halftime, unfortunately, didn't last long. But um, it was Isaac Hayden who was able to, to get on the ball. And um, he like it was a really cool passing combination between him, John Joe and Callum Wilson. And then a brilliant, brilliant run by Almiron off the ball. He saw everything. He like you could tell like Miguel, Miguel like envisioned what was going to happen here. He read it and had a perfect run towards it and uh, absolutely beeline to the goal. And uh, he forced the ball past Meslier and one to one. That was the great thing. The bad thing is our drawness lasted a mere four minutes. 
between the guy who always kills us, Jack Harrison, the former MLS or Jack Harrison. Uh, it's it's not, uh, he's not always. I mean, he's scored. I mean, like, he, yeah, he played I mean, Leeds yeah, once before and he scored. It's and like he scored saying, again. like, oh, yeah, like Obama Yang, the killer of Newcastle. Like, yeah, he does <laughs> but, other teams too, but he always scores against us. That's But we've only played him twice. Like, it's yeah. just, he's no, scored no, in both games. Well, yeah, I'm doing it. Like, when's the last time we played Leeds before that? A few years ago. So I'm just taking what the sample size we're given. Okay. You know? I mean, that's fair, but I just also we think played it's a him process. two times since this podcast was created. He scored in both of them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Shocking. One of Leeds uh, attackers that scores goals, scores goals against Newcastle. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you can probably go down the list of every Premier League side and there's there's yeah. some attacking player that likes scoring against us. Um, but yeah, that, that made, the, so our, our, the draw only lasted for four minutes um, and we were not able to recover. Let's talk about some of the, there were some positive, there were things to, to hang kind of like real quick before we get to the positives, I'm going to talk about those two things real quick. Yeah, First yeah. thing, the, the, the goal we gave up, I think the frustrating thing about that was that like, you're talking about the second goal. The second goal, just there was no right. one marking him at all, and it, it it it's always easy to point the finger at DeAndre Yedlin usually because like that's his part, his fault. But like Isaac Hayden was jogging back, and like I get it, he'd made a run down the field, but there was no communication from him or from anyone else to like pick up that person. Like that's either on a midfield or on a center back to drop back and pick up this person who's literally wide open. Uh, if if the right back cannot contain him, someone else has to step in, and there was just like no communication there, and that that's just like a really bad goal to give up, especially because, like in all honesty, Leeds did not really play like they didn't play great. It was a like in the grand scheme of things, this was a back and forth match. Uh, like obviously, Leeds dominated the first half, and Newcastle. They, they had their way with leads. Uh, they had a lot of opportunities in the second half that they they could have they could have done things with. But, I mean, this is how Leeds have played the past. They've kind of run out of steam at this point, and I wouldn't say they're in any danger of relegation, but they haven't looked great. And so Newcastle could have taken advantage of that. And, and to give them a goal that that's easy, not even make them work for that goal, not even make them work for either one of the goals, is just like that's embarrassing. And that's, again, that's on Bruce. Uh, per the Miggy goal, I think the the important thing is that at that point Newcastle were in a four two three one, and Miguel Amaron was in the middle of the pitch. It's crazy how when you play a guy in the middle of the pitch in, in his correct position, uh, he tends to do well. It's what a concept we're we're discovering here. But I digress. Uh, so the good things, and when I say good things, uh, it's not really that great. It's not like we look like the better team by any means. It's just like, oh, something happened that was nice on the field. Um, and it was Alan St. Maximin led, and but that's it. And it's funny because like some I saw some reporters say, like, oh, but you know, that like it was a way better second half, or like, oh, it was we had hope in the second half. No, we didn't. Like Newcastle was never winning this game. <laughs> and like I I hate to like I get I mean, being the Debbie Downer, I think it's just being a realist in this situation, but um, there, there was nothing positive enough to think like, okay, like that's the Newcastle that we saw. Cause if that second half Newcastle trotted out against 19 other premier league sides, they're losing 15 
I was about to say, they're not losing all 19. Like, if you do no. that against West Brom, I, I you're probably 15. actually – Yeah. I was, yeah, like, I mean, but that – At least 15. That, like, yeah, but losing. that no, is enough good. to – that's enough to survive. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's not good. I will say this, though. It's the, – the one positive is that players definitely seem more comfortable in, the, in that formation, that, like having a sort of four-two-three-one or something along the lines where Alan St. Maxman, Ryan Fraser, McGowan, and Calum Wilson are all playing together and attacking formation, uh, which could bode – because essentially we have to remember, like Newcastle went through a massive slump before Project Restart as well. Then we came into Project Restart, and like this, this happened. This exact thing happened. See, Bruce went to a four in the back formation and Newcastle picked up a couple results and everyone was like, oh man, Newcastle climb up the table, blah, blah, blah. We secured safety. And after that, like Newcastle then lost or drew like nine of the last 10 matches and still somehow ended up safe. But I think that's the only positive is that like by the grace of God, there's some way that like maybe New- Newcastle go on some sort of like pick up a couple results just due to the fact that they're in a position where their best players are probably able to succeed without any sort of tactical guidance, like because they're just in the right positions. Uh, that's probably the only positive you can really take away from this. I think the the big sort of negatives that are still there is that one, for some reason, Newcastle just cannot like with set pieces and throw-ins they just concede goals and that's an issue and that's something that like at a certain point as a manager as someone on the coaching staff you have to say like hey maybe we should um look into like throw-ins like and just work on something because right now we've we're losing possession on every every single time we have a throw-in it seems like we're giving the ball away um so maybe we should work on that or maybe someone should work on set piece rotate set piece set pieces Newcastle had so many set pieces in the second half and every single set piece was taken by a different person. Like I understand that you don't really want John Joe Shelby taking a ton of set pieces, but for the love of God, we have to have some sort of consistency. There was a moment where I don't know why Dwight Gale took the last set piece. Dwight Gale hadn't had a touch in the match. His first touch in the match was to take a crucial set piece, like a goal scoring opportunity. That was his first touch in the match. And, of course, he skies it over because he literally had not touched the ball beforehand. And you can go on and on. I mean, Fabian Cher took a shot. I mean, John Joe Shelby. uh, Sometimes Jacob Murphy's taking it. It's it's just bizarre that, like, that how Newcastle have approached set pieces this year. It's it's bizarre in its own right. Um, But, yeah, I mean, that was – it was fine. Uh, The only thing that – I mean, I'm just maybe we can like Wolves stink and we can pick up a result against them as well. I don't know. Like, there's an uh, there's always the off chance that Everton, like, if they start Pickford, um, that we score a goal just based off of Pickford and his history against Newcastle. But other than that, I mean, it's it's definitely grim. The only positive is that like there hasn't been a ton of improvement from the sides below us outside of Burnley, who have just. I mean, well, Sheffield did just beat Manchester United. Yes, and everyone is treating I mean, that as a fluke. Yeah. yeah, Sheffield's like that doesn't help us. West Brom getting pumped by Man City that helps. Yeah, I um, mean, Fulham drawing to Brighton that's not like a good or bad thing. Like I don't know, it it doesn't really. Well, what we not, really need to watch for is Fulham plays West Brom next. Yeah, that you'd want a West Brom win there. Uh yeah, or a draw Football. maybe. 
draw, draw is probably the best win would be the best. Yeah. Because if West Brown wins, they they jump Fulham. And if we lose now, now we're five points from bottom. We're six now. Uh, but if Fulham wins, we're three from the bottom three. So um it's a crazy thing though, is that West Brom North Fulham look like they have the ability to score like goals. Yeah. It's it's I mean, like Newcastle, at least it's like there's chances and like there's now starting to be chances. It's not a lot of chances. It looks like Newcastle can't defend now, which is not great, but at least there are chances now, which (laughs) that's something. Um, We've given up. We've given up seven more goals than Fulham uh, in perspective. Okay, so I have some stats. That I want to oh well actually I have two things. One is I want to shout out NUFC.com once again because they wrote up another brilliant blurb about Newcastle United. You know I I love their little rants that they like to go on, but um this is what they said. Uh, they said for seeing encouraging signs in the defeat at Villa that few others did. Bruce was doubtless boosted by his side's second half revival but he can only answer why they were so passive and jittery. Oh, but only he can answer why they were so passive and jittery in the first half for the coach to claim any credit from this game is proof positive of his continual ineptness for the 11th time in succession. He picked a side that at no point in the entire match was winning or ever looked like they were going ahead. Nowhere else would that be tolerated. If it takes going down a goal to trigger any sort of response, then our fate is sealed or at least dependent on the misdeeds of the sides around us. Bam. They, they like word it so well. Uh, some stats on this one that I wanted to share. Uh, one of them you'll really like Elijah, I think is this is not the first time that Jack Harrison and Miguel Almiron have scored in a match. Oh, the last time that it's happened was Miguel Amron scoring a brace for Atlanta United in the three to one win against NYCFC? Jack Harrison getting the uh, other goal in 2017. That's the last time that the two of them have scored in the same match. Um, it's the first time that Leeds has completed the double over Newcastle in the Premier League since 1975 1976 season. And it's Miguel's third goal of the season. Second in the Premier League, he has 11 for Newcastle in all comps. Um, he is tied with Fabian Cher, Jamal Lascelles, Joey Barton, and David oh. Ginola as far as uh, goal scorers for uh, all time for Newcastle United. Um, so, and then we have failed to win in any of our last nine Premier League matches, and we've taken two from 27, and we scored twice in our last nine matches. And failed to find the net in the first half of our last 10 matches. Steve Bruce has now tied Rafa Benitez for that uh, historic 11-game winless run, which we started this podcast on. Um, However, Rafa has never lost five straight Premier League games like Bruce now has. Um, The most we've ever lost in the Premier League is eight by our friend John Carver. Um, in March to May of 2015, we lost eight straight Premier League matches. Uh, but I am, I mean, that's it. I, it's just bad, but that's all my stats. 
I do have two more things I wanted to mention before we take a break. 538. Gonna want to listen to this one. I don't. Uh, we 538 says we won't get relegated. That we will end our season on 35 points and safe. Uh, with Fulham finishing with 33 points. <laughs> I mean, and part of that is like, if you look at the end, I just looked ahead at the end of the season. Have you seen the end of our season? No, I don't remember it. Is the end of our season is, uh, it's, well, you got Leicester, Man City, Sheffield, and then Fulham. Fulham's <laughs> the last match. So, like, that literally could be, mm-hmm. I mean, like, it's, it's looking like that could be it. I mean, you there's a chance Newcastle could secure safety against Sheffield. Yeah. But I also could see Newcastle losing to Sheffield and then having to beat Fulham. Like, I just could 100% see that happening. So, just keeping that on your radar. Yep. The good news is that Newcastle don't have to play – oh, never mind. They still do have to play Liverpool. Never mind. Yeah. And uh, Chelsea and Man United. So, yeah, yeah, never mind. Not a lot of good. <laughs> Yeah, so they're having us at 35 points, two points clear of relegation. They're giving us a 40% chance to get relegated. Uh, that's way better than the 26 it was last week. <laughs> um, that's increased a lot. So, obviously, still a chance to win the Premier League, though. Uh, still a chance to qualify for the Champions League. And still a chance we finish in the top 10. Um, all are less than 1% of happening but 40% of relegation. So on a hunch, I just decided to check the global soccer rankings that 538 does. They rank every club in the world and they give a ranking on who are the best clubs in the world. Uh, Where do you think of a total of, hang on, Elijah, 637 clubs, professional clubs. Um, Grimsby town finishes bottom of that. And second bottom for me is a, Philadelphia Union 2. Oh, wait. They're saying Philadelphia Union 2 is better than Grimsby Town? Yeah, oh, they that, that Philadelphia Union 2 would beat Grimsby Town. That's what they're I saying. I mean, that, that – yeah, that makes sense. Um, where's Newcastle? Probably 245th. Go higher. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, I'm one, one, 176. Oh, we got to go up even higher. One, 152. 109. Really? Let me tell you the clubs around us, though. They're all championship clubs. Well, two below us is Bournemouth. Three below us is is Norwich. Above, uh, one below us is Angers, a Ligue 1. Oh, that's reassuring. (laughs) Now, now for the, uh, especially if you are in, if you're living in North England, uh, this one will upset you. Uh, One above us is Celtic. Mm, um paok is two above us uh if you go to okay uh, paok should not be two i uh, this is this is on their coefficient rankings uh they give a score on offense and defense like a team rating and then an spi with a strength performance rating so they rank each club they play and then how big the margin is of victory of each and I guess if PAOK is dominating, yeah, I, I mean, I guess. Like, uh, their, their SPI is definitely not great. No, it, it's actually – it's 0.1 more than Newcastle's. Uh, yeah, so it's crazy. There are two Brazilian league clubs ahead of us. There's a Japanese club, Kawasaki. 
Um, is that the one that Man City owns or City Group owns? They have a they have a club maybe, in Japan. Maybe I don't remember which one. What what's called uh, the Midget Land is a hundredth. Uh, you have Guangzhou's ahead of us, Monterey in Mexico, Verona, Strasbourg, uh, Brentford. Brentford is 82nd. That's a championship club. Sheffield is 80th. Oh. Yep. They think Sheffield is outperforming Newcastle United. And this is on performance um, and giving a rating based on those statistic numbers. Fulham is ahead of us. So, yeah, it's it's bad. Um, They're not rating us well. So let's take a break now. We've blabbered on enough. We're going to take a break. We're going to talk about Graham Jones and do some odds and ends, and we will be right back. For Newcastle fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. Don't settle for an old Gmail address. Show your true colours with your personalised at ToonArmy.com email address to use in-app or on the web. Download the free Toon Army app now from the App Store and Google Play. Hello, Elijah. Hello. Welcome back. Nice break we had. Um, Graham Jones is part of Newcastle United. Let's, we'll start by talking about that. Um, so we, uh, this is on Wednesday that Newcastle announced the appointment of Graham Jones to the first team coaching staff. So he's born in Gateshead. Uh, he will be an assistant to Steve Bruce and will work alongside Steve Agnew, Stephen Clements, and Steve Harper. Uh, all the Steves. It's a shame that we didn't hire another one um academy head coaching ben dawson will also remain the magpies first team until the end of the current season so uh jones is a newcastle supporter has grew up that way uh he's leaving burnmouth uh he was assistant to jason tyndall there uh what grams jones said is I'm proud to be here at the team. I supported as a boy in all my life during my playing and coaching career. It has always been the first result I would look for after my own. Now I've hopefully got the chance to have a direct influence on results and the future of the football club, which is something I'm very excited for. Uh, head coach Steve Bruce said, I'm delighted to welcome Graham on board. He is vastly experienced and I could tell speaking with him that he is hugely passionate about the club and very keen to join us. He is from here, but has been away for 35 years. So the opportunity to come in and give us a hand is one he has jumped at. Um, he's making 250K. Not too bad. No, he's not making 250K. He They had to pay 250K to release him from – Oh, like it was a I'm going to that then. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Graham Jones, it's an interesting uh, signing. I, I think – Oh, wait, one more thing, one more thing. Before you go into it, uh, as I just want to mention what Jason Tyndall said at Burnmouth. He said, um, it's a difficult one. Graham Jones is black and white. He always has been. It would have been very, very difficult to prize him away from this football club because he was extremely happy here, settled into the area and loved the environment. There's not many places that could have persuaded him to think about leaving. But I knew of this conversation I had with Bonner many times in terms of I knew he was a black and white. I knew how much Newcastle means to him. I knew how much it meant to his dad and his family. He's got family up there. It's been a difficult time for him, and it was a really tough decision, but he wanted to, to pursue it a bit further. In the end, we just have to wait and see what happens in the next 24 hours. 
uh, I think when an opportunity comes around that is almost a dream come true to work for, in your boyhood club, it then becomes very difficult. Uh, I'm sure he will be a good addition to Steve Bruce's backroom staff. Um, he, he went on, spoke a lot more about like all the impacts that he's made at Burnmouth, but uh, uh, for a head coach to speak very highly, maybe not as maybe not a rare feat, but it's always very nice to hear that he was like very loved and welcomed at Burnmouth. But Elijah, I open the floor to you. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's uh it's, it's an interesting one because I, I honestly, it's an assistant coach signing and, but it's, since it's the only thing that's occurred, I think everyone's kind of, I wouldn't say overanalyzing it, but they're overanalyzing it. I mean, there's a lot of people who are asking Burnmouth fans, is he any good? How the hell should they know? I mean, and they're all saying, oh, well, he brought the five in the back. He's been with Burnmouth since Eddie, like since the summer. He's been there since I think he joined the Burnmouth staff in June or July. Like Eddie Ho was still the manager there. He was still there with Calum Wilson. And so they're like, oh, well, you know, he's gone. Now the five in the back is gone. It's like that doesn't make much sense because Jason Tendall still is the one who who sets everything. Yeah. And he's That's been right. there under Eddie Ho like for years like years so it's like it's 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 not like we can take what anything Burmouth has done and kind of translate it to Newcastle if anything what is encouraging is like who are the managers that he has grown from the most and that's where you start looking at like when you talk about uh who's people who have people study under it, and that gives you an idea of like what they want to bring to Newcastle or not to Newcastle any team for example, Frank DeBoer is a Cruyff disciple, disciple so he wants like that N- Netherlands position-based style of football, and that's what he's going to bring. Like that, you know that because that's who he played under. That's who gave his first job, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you look at like a Tata Martino; he's a Biesla disciple, so his team's press like that. That like you understand what they do based on like who they studied under, and this person has studied under Roberto Martinez. So like that's where you kind of look. To, all right, if that's if that's the direction we're going, maybe you can see Newcastle uh, wanting to create a lot of chances. He himself, he believes in a little bit more possession. That alone would tell you why he probably didn't do well with Luton Town. Luton Town recently, and that's also being blown out of proportion. Um, it's uh, and again, fans are not the best to ask for any opinion on anything tactically because they often just are not. It, there's a lot of complexities. Uh, and so like with Luton Town, he nearly got Luton Town relegated. People forget they were a recently promoted side into the championship, which as we know is a very good division. There's a lot of Premier League teams that are still in the championship for a reason. And so to take over Luton Town, that being your first job, and then trying to play essentially a complex style of football, like of course they're not going to do well because he doesn't have the talent to go with the style of football he needs to play. And managing in the championship is much different than managing literally at any other level he had managed before. So I, I don't know. I think the the good news here is that you have a player, a, a manager, not a player, a, a manager who not manager, a coach that's come in that has an idea of what <laughs> this sounds bad, like, but what working under a proper coaching staff looks like and hopefully you can bring some of that experience to this current coaching staff, because I think a lot of Newcastle's issues, at least for to merely survive would come down to just simple organization on how we, they operate as a club. 
there's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of disorganization going on right now. A lot of people that don't know like anything about tactics. I'm not even sure what their scouting protocol is, et cetera, et cetera. How do they look ahead to matches and having someone who has worked on staffs that are well put together, that are well run, that should help. And then again, like he's going to bring at least some ideas tactically that would be different than whatever Steve Bruce is running. Cause right now we don't know what Steve Bruce is running tactically. And then when you have a, a, a staff full of people that have worked under Steve Bruce, we can't rely on those people to provide Steve Bruce with any sort of tactical guidance because they've been working under Steve Bruce. So um, it, it's nice to have a fresh face. Uh, I don't, wouldn't look too far into it. Um, everyone's like, well, they gave him a nine minute interview. He got an 11 minute video when he joined Bournemouth. Like, this is what happens. Like people want to know more about like the people that are being brought into the club. Like it's, it's whatever. I wouldn't say that this is some sort of, Hey, he's going to, as soon as Bruce gets fired, like he's taking over. Sure. That might happen, but I don't think that's the intent behind the move. In an ideal scenario, the intent behind the move is that he improves the team and that the team survives. And that way Mike Ashley doesn't have to pay out Steve Bruce's contract. That is the intent behind this move. Nothing more, nothing less. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Yedlin. Yeah. Oh, well, well, this is the BS meter. Let's talk about Yedlin. Yeah, it's uh, Yedlin's kind of a special case in the BS meter. There's a lot going on. Uh, I guess first and foremost, we didn't see him against Villa. Everyone was wondering what the hell, why. And we can even go even further ahead. Uh, there were reports. I think Yedlin told CBS this. Uh, he hadn't. He had no idea what the heck was going on. Uh, with his contract situation and still does not. Uh, and he came out, he said to CBS that the club has not contacted him or his agent regarding the, their plans for him in the future, which is obviously incredibly confusing. Um, I think I was talking to Rob Usry, who runs the stars and stripes FC blog for SB nation, which they're an American U S men's national team, U S women's national team uh, blog. Great site. Check him out. If you're American, he was like, you know, usually when you have, yeah, or if you're not, it, usually if you haven't gotten a contract extension uh, with six months left, like that's probably not a good sign. Like you should know your status. I was like, but to that point, Newcastle one, let Matty Longstaff's contract run out completely. And two, just signed, just re-signed Karen Clark, who's in the same exact situation as DeAndre Edlin. And three, it's like DeAndre Edlin went from playing zero games to being the first name on a team sheet for a run of like seven or eight matches. So I can completely understand why he's, confused as to his status so then we move on and turns out that there's an issue with his visa newcastle i don't know what they did i they forgot to get it renewed or updated but essentially like he doesn't have a work permit to play in the uk anymore um and of course it's now even harder to get a work permit because of brexit uh there's different regulations and uh he essentially has not made enough appearances for the national team in order to you know, meet the minimum requirements that, uh, well, not the minimum, the automatic requirements that give him a work permit. The club even had Greg Berhalter write a letter in support saying that, like, hey, DeAndre Yedlin's an important player for U.S. men's national team, which is probably true, especially given the fact that we know he can play again. I wouldn't say he's important, but he's at least going to be making uh, appearances for the team again at some point in some capacity. Uh, and then uh, he's linked to, I think the, it was maybe Galatasaray. Some some Turkish club is interested in DeAndre Edlin and has submitted an offer. And now we are to today where um, things are up in the air regarding a contract extension. Some people are saying that they've talked to DeAndre Edlin about a contract extension. Some people have said that 
like there hasn't been any talks. And I believe the Chronicle said DeAndre Yedlin uh, has has not heard anything regarding his contract talks. So um, that's DeAndre Yedlin in a nutshell. It's not really a BS meter. It's more of a um, what the heck is going on meter. But again, the transfer window closes Sunday. So um, I like something has to happen. Uh, either he's just going to be a player that we're paying and just does not have a visa or he's going to go somewhere else and he's going to be released, like, or he's going to get sold. Like something is bound to happen. Um, it seems like it, they, they tried to get him an extension and that hasn't worked out. And so maybe he's going to get sold. That'd be my guess. Um, it's just, are there any buyers in the market? And that's a, uh, that's a big thing. Yeah. All right. Do you have any other comments? I kind of went hand on yeah, I mean, you you had it set up, yeah, but Greg had to actually – so he had, in order – the one thing I would just add is in order for him to get his visa approved, he had to write a letter of support because the reason it wasn't approved, the reason it expired and had a delay is because DeAndre Yedlin, um like, had eligibility issues because he hasn't been called up for the U.S. men's national team enough. Uh, that was That was the issue. Um, and Which is I, crazy because part of that is literally because the U.S. men's national team just didn't hire a manager for a year. And just yeah, but that doesn't matter according to like England and their Brexit. Yeah, I know, Brexit. I know, I know. It's just, it's just kind of funny. Like this is all ultimately, it's just incompetence by two parties that are just really good at being incompetent in the world of football. U.S. Soccer Federation and like the and and Newcastle just. You talk about a party of incompetence. It's those two. They're they they fuck. They've set the guest list. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's all I have to add. What's next on the BS meter? Yeah. So we're actually going to go with another uh, American, uh, uh, Chris Goslin. This is a weird link. Um, uh, I I wrote about this um, on the old site, so you can check that out. But Newcastle are essentially linked to three left backs. Um, right now uh one being uh brandon williams uh the manchester united left back and we've mentioned all these before uh and jetra williams of course is the other and then the one that kind of took me off guard is chris gloucester and he's an american uh who, who is currently in the psv academy um and the the weird thing about this is that chris gloucester is like he's not he's not a player that would come in and start for Newcastle by any means. He's 20 years old. He's not really made a senior. He hasn't made a senior team appearance for the U S men's national team. He plays for the PSV, like young, the youth team PSV two in the second division of Eredivisie. So this was like, honestly, Greg, I thought this was a, an Academy signing. Another uh, example of Newcastle trying to uh, bolster their Academy by buying players instead of taking that same money and just investing it in the Academy but either way, like it was a link and it fell apart because, of course, Chris Gloucester is not eligible to get a UK work visa because he has just not made any appearances for the US men's national team and has not made any appearances in a top five league. And he's got a lot of youth appearances, and that's a special situation. But I'm pretty sure uh, if I'm reading, if I was reading my Brexit uh, post Brexit uh, eligibility correctly, they'll consider youth team appearances if you're 18 or 19 and he is 20. So that deal died before it could even start. It was just yeah. a weird link. <laughs> he is not eligible uh, for a permit in the UK. So he's actually, apparently it's, it's pretty far along. He's going to go to Sundar in uh, 
the Danish club. Yeah, Danish. Um, yeah, so a ton of bullshit there. <laughs> yeah, it it was crazy though. I mean, it was, I mean the the link came from you. Like, you could tell it's like just an absolute BS link because like they didn't even look into the fact that it's literally not possible for it to happen. Now that's not saying that I don't I don't don't put me no, as I, I'm, I believe I'm, that Newcastle wouldn't be dumb enough to realize that this could happen. Oh, but I think the Yedlin thing makes it so that I believe this was a legit link. I mean, it came from America first and foremost. It didn't come from like random, like team in like, no, it didn't come from random source out there in the UK. It came from America. It came from Jeff Carlisle, who's a very well-respected writer covering U S men's national team, covering U S soccer. His links are pretty, pretty damn solid. He even mentioned that this was a weird one because there would need to be a lot to go correct for this. And they're like, he mentioned that there was a lot of issues here. So I don't doubt the link is real. I think there was some interest and I'm sure there was, there's been interest all along to get this happen, to, to get this done. But again, Gloucester is 20. And I think that's just something that like, this would have happened if they got this deal done in like the fall. Sure. Like this would have happened, but they didn't. Yeah. And it is it's January, and so he cannot move to the UK, even if that is his goal. And I even wrote in my article: if you're a youth player and like you have the option to go to Newcastle or stay at PSV, why the hell would you go to Newcastle? This this academy has not proven that it can develop players at all. Like it is like like at all. There's no. I mean, but again. The appeal of Premier League is is obviously. Or is our academy even playing games right now? But yeah, there you go. Um, the other links. Uh, Akraf Lazar was linked to AC Milan. I have, I. That's like that is BS. Like what you just said. You just said BS in a different language. I I couldn't even finish it without laughing, but I felt the the need to uh to include it. And we've got another outgoing here. This one, a lot of people are believing is close to being done. Matt Ritchie back to Bournemouth. For the, the 50th time, this link has, has showed up. But um, it, it's apparently on again. Uh, and people are joking that it was a swap deal uh, with Graham Jones. Uh, but, I mean, uh, again, Newcastle need cash. Uh, Matt, Matt Ritchie is a player that uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a very, there's a handful of players that Newcastle could have sold over the past two seasons. Uh, Dwight Gill, John Joe Shelby, Matt Ritchie, that – definitely have a higher value in the eyes of fans than they actually do. If that makes sense. Like Matt Ritchie is a solid player, but we aren't get, we're at a point now and we, we notice this as a podcast, we've pointed out like Matt Ritchie, isn't that important to the team in terms of his ability. Sure. He's a great motivator and leader and all that kind of other jazz, but performance on the pitch, it's kind of like he was linked to Bermuda last season. We're like, yeah, sell him. I mean, it makes sense. And we were on the John, sell John Joe Shelby for $15 million to West Ham train years ago, and Newcastle were too wimpy to do it, even though he wasn't playing. And, of course, Dwight Gale. We've been on the sale Dwight Gale because, like, he is your best chance at making a ton of money because he's a commodity, and now they have squandered that. So, um, yeah, this is another one. Uh, people are saying that he could be traveling to Bournemouth on Friday. Uh, and that would open up a slot for Newcastle to potentially spend some cash elsewhere. Uh, Jetro Williams is a name that's still heavily linked. Uh, this is one that I think could happen because not only is Jetro Williams excited to uh, potentially join Newcastle, he denied a contract with, with Frankfurt 
they obviously want to make some return off of him not going to be at the club next season. And of course, Newcastle are, are somewhat interested. So be on the lookout for maybe that being something that happens. Uh, and then the last one, Omar Coley is a center back that we were linked with again from Sampdoria. I wouldn't put a lot of stock into this one. He's 28 and is a center back. And it's at a point where Newcastle have a lot of center backs that are between the ages of 28 and 31. So I don't know if we need to add another one into the mix uh, or if that's even a, a, a position of, of need for Newcastle at all. So I don't, I don't know what you want to think about either one of those links, but you know, go ahead and give your, your thoughts, I guess. Uh, yeah. The Matt Ritchie thing, it's always at least believable, but uh, I am getting concerned about some of the, if it's real or not, because some people say like it's a swap with Philip Billing or it's a swap with Josh King um, with Omar Cauley, like he would essentially just be a temporary replacement for Florian Lejeune. But then I also think like Florence Lejeune probably just leave on a, he'll just probably end up where he is now um, with Hoslo. And so like, it's just whatever, like, but also it's like, you just, it, you signed, like but all, on that note, we just signed Karen Clark to a two year extension. So it literally yeah, just interested in buying Karen Clark. So, yeah. And that's what I'm saying. It's like, there's no reason, like if you can't, uh, that's, and that would be the next point, but you can finish what you were saying. Like, yeah, it's just it, it, times like this, it makes you really realize who is the decision maker at this club. And it's just no one that has an interest in making this club better. And it's as simple as that. And, and to that point, I mean, it's, it's a weird window. Uh, like, no, there's not been a lot of activity at all. Um, I think Morgan Sanson is probably the only signing big biggish name signing in the premier league you just signed with villa for 14 million pounds it's a very good piece of business for them because it's actually the type of midfielder that would be good for them but outside of that nothing crazy right now outside of frank lampard being fired going on in the premier league regarding any sort of movement within teams so not super crazy these links and i'm honestly there was a report coming out a couple days ago that newcastle might not do anything and i feel like that makes sense no one's really doing anything and so there's no reason oh Hamza Chowdhury people think that's that that's apparently close with a 20 million pound uh optional buyout and if Hamza Chowdhury plays like a 20 million pound midfielder then Newcastle are staying up so um sure if that happens uh but that's a potential loan move uh that's been linked for a while and that could happen again because it's a loan move um, and we'll move on to the final piece of news. Karen Clark signed a two-year extension, or I guess it's a two-year contract um, because it's, I don't know, it's its weird because it's its an extension, but like because UK, con- like British, like football contracts in general are weird, I guess because it was the last six months, it just did a new contract and now it's just two-year contract. Um, but yeah, he's, he's 31, signed a two-year deal. Uh, it's a weird one uh, because, I mean, like, it's another player that you could have sold for a while ago before you got to this point. Um, and it just, you look at the appearances, Karen, Karen Clark was really a key player in the championship season, but outside of that, he's made, you know, 14, 15 appearances every season. And that's, that's a player you can replace a, a center back. That's making 14 or so appearances a year is a, is a center back. That's a rotational center back. And so when you have the opportunity to sell that said, like said center back, then you, then you should, and you, you could, but again, like you said, there's no plan. There's no like, 
there's there's nothing regarding transfers that makes sense. So of course Newcastle are in a position where they've got a lot of players that they literally could have sold and been fine not having. And uh, all of them, they've had to give extensions. I mean, this year we've seen John Joe get an extension, Dwight Gale get an extension, and Karen Clark get extensions. All players that should have just been sold. Like, oh, and Federico Fernandez, which I don't hate that one because Federico Fernandez actually is an important player to the team. Even if he is 31, he's usually the starting center back alongside themselves. Last bit of news is uh, Rob Elliott. He joined Watford, so congrats to him. He did have uh, – he had treatment for appendicitis, um, and he's uh, – he now is with Watford for at least the rest of the season. 34 years old, left St. James uh, or left Newcastle this past year, and he has been training with Charlton Athletic to try to regain fitness and also with uh, Gateshead. Uh, but they have – uh, Watford has a little issue with their goalkeeping keepers getting hurt right now. So he has signed uh, with them. Rob Elliott's last competitive appearance was against Manchester city of, on December of 2017. <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, all right. We're going to take one more break and then we're going to preview our upcoming match against Everton. Let's get it right after this break. For Newcastle fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. Never miss a match with live commentary, goal alerts, lineups, in-game stats and TV and radio links for over 100 leagues globally. Download the free Toon Army app now from the App Store and Google Play. Okay, Elijah, we have 16th place Newcastle United with on 19 points against 7th place Everton on 33 points. Everton with a plus seven goal difference. Newcastle with a minus 15. Let's talk about it. So for this match, um, I guess let's, I mean, it's repetitive, but like how does, like we don't know how Newcastle is going to line up or how Steve Bruce is going to allow us to line up, but you have to imagine, right, that ASM and Ryan Fraser will be on the pitch at the same time at the start of this match. No. And Almiron. Like, yes. Because Steve Bruce is literally, not? he, well, especially because Steve Bruce has just decided that that's the, that's what's going to fix Newcastle. He just keeps bringing it up in his interviews. Yeah. You know, it'll be good when we get Ryan and, and Almiron and Miggy, no, sorry, Ryan and ASM out at the, at the, at the same time. And now he's got the opportunity to do that. And uh, Miggy's just oh. proved to you what, I got the stat. I found it. Okay. Bruce said uh, this was – he said this after the Villa match. He said, I've never been able to play Ryan and Allen together. That's just not true. In 37% of the game, games, they have been available together. And he's chose just once to have them together against Wolves. Yeah. In three games, he subbed Fraser on for Allen St. Maximin. Yes. Which is against Brighton at home, Burnley at home, and Everton at home. And in two games – Fraser was an unused sub against West Ham away and Man United at home. So just wanted to, to state that. Oh, and, and don't check. forget, don't forget. And I, and this is imperative that the, the match, the only match in which Ryan Fraser until of course this past match, when Ryan Fraser and, and ASM played together, Ryan Fraser was played in a midfield three and Alan St. Maxim was played as a secondary striker. 
so take that for what for what it for whatever i don't know and uh, that could yeah and that could happen again because like like anytime there's a team which unfortunately is literally over half the premier league a team that has an attacking plan which is really every team but a team with a competent attack steve bruce is just like oh five in the back we gotta go five in the back and so, you know, against Everton, I would not be surprised if Newcastle go with a five in the back um, and somehow try to start Alan St. Maximin, Ryan Fraser, and Miguel Amaron. And if I remember correctly, I feel like that was a midfield three with Miguel Amaron and Ryan Fraser in it with Alan St. Maximin, which just was wild. And I'm, I'm like, I'm going to go 90% sure, and I'm going to fact check myself on it, but I'm 90% sure that is what Newcastle rolled out with. Um, and the, I mean, there was a draw, but still, there was a draw. Oh yes, I was correct. It was a five-three-two with Miguel Amaron, Jeff Hendrick, and Ryan Fraser in the midfield. So, yeah, yeah, I could see that happening literally again. Um, Doing that same formation. Do you really think that's what they'll do? I hope not, but I mean, I like I said, it's it's against a team with a competent attack in Everton mm-hmm. and Newcastle this season anytime there's a team with a competent attack they've decided that they're just going to go five in the back when we played wolves and went five in the back wolves were slumping and we decided to play five in the back and so everything aren't even slumping they, they drew against leicester today when we're recording this it was a pretty like really actually a quite a fun match to watch if you're a neutral um so i wouldn't say they're slumping by any means uh and james rodriguez scored a banger and we didn't play everton last time with james rodriguez so well, yeah, yeah. In, the, in the last five, they've won three, they've drawn once, and they've lost once. So, yeah, we would take that. That would be something that we would take. Yeah. Uh, Elijah, what do we have to do to win? Yeah, I, I really do think you have to at some point shift to a 4-2-3-1. At a certain point, you have to concede the fact that, like, you're better off trying to score than defend uh, than just, like, like I don't know, it, it – the five in the back has not worked in terms of defensive solidity. Uh, and like, like you said, Greg, if, if another team scores, there's no chance for Newcastle to win. Uh, and that that's like in that same vein, you're better off if you're Newcastle scoring first and trying to pack it in and defend your butt off for the lot for, for steer submittance then literally wait like literally sitting back and hoping that you can do something in attack and then someone scoring and then you responding with the four two three one. It's like you're you're I don't know, you might as well just start with the four two three one because you're you're not going to be good defensive regardless of the formation you run. Like it's not like Newcastle are solid defensively in any formation, five in the back, four in the back, whatever. So you might as well run a formation that puts people in positions they're comfortable with, especially given the fact that like I get Isaac Haynes a solid center back. But he's a much better holding midfielder than he is a, a, a center back. It's just the truth. So let's do a four-two-three-one at some point. Have him in the middle of the pitch somewhere. Let's not have him playing right back. Let's just like I don't know. It's that's that's probably the only chance they have to score a goal. That's it. We're just talking about scoring goals. The basics. We're not even talking about winning. Scoring goal. That's it. Yeah. Uh, last time we scored more than one match was a five-to-two loss against Leeds. Um, that was a fun match until we lost five to two, which by the way, another sort of, Hey, maybe we should look at working on set pieces. That was the match in which Leeds scored two straight goals off of counterattacks off of corners. So there's, there's that. (laughs) 
Actually, I yeah. think it was so, the last um, three goals. Yeah. You, um, any, any, uh, so, all right, let's get to predictions then. Let's just do it. Let's, let's dive right in. Uh, Newcastle versus Everton. Mm-hmm. What happens? 1-1 one, one draw. Oh, what? Yes. No. Yes. Yes. This is why. Mm-hmm. It's Jordan Pickford. I love like, that. I, I'm I've if you've if if you've paid attention and I'm not no one's gonna fact check me on this. I'm just gonna declare it. If you've paid attention the past like two years of this podcast, I have not picked Newcastle to lose to Everton simply because of Jordan Pickford. Any even if Everton looks like a world class side, Jordan Pickford literally would mess it up. There's actually like like they're looking at there's like a ton of different charts and stuff about just uh Premier League goalies and like uh expected saves uh, not expected saves but like expected goals against maybe that might be the stat mm-hmm. and like like there's just like like Chelsea everyone did it with with Kepa um but with Jordan Pickford it's the same thing like last season Everton would have finished way higher if they had started literally anyone but Jordan Pickford in goal it's actually quite fascinating the guy is just prone to make some sort of error so sure one one Newcastle draw uh, only because of Jordan Pickford. Maybe they could ride that momentum and, and pick up a win down the road. Yeah. Um, I'm I, So going to 538, I always like to lead with that before I do my prediction. Uh, they have Everton with a 57% chance to win. Oh, that's good for them. A 25% chance to draw and Newcastle with an 18% chance to win. Um, I am going Everton to Newcastle United nil. Everton is a, and the reason I'm doing this is Everton is not the Everton that we were used to with Jordan Pickford. Everton is a good club this year. I mean, they're seventh. And to give more clarity, a win could put them as high as fourth, um, which is currently hosted by West Ham, which is a whole other thing which uh, I, like i said earlier it's all those teams that they had an identity but now they've got the players to fit those identities and crazy yeah. how that works out for them it's literally like these are teams that we were beating last year because simply because they didn't have the players to to play the position it's it's actually insane yeah so um so everton's obviously good um they their their goal difference is definitely not as high as well yeah it's about it actually it is i think it is seventh or eighth yeah seventh so they're they're about playing for where they are and we are not going to beat the seventh best team in the premier league in any situation i feel so i think it's going to be a pretty convincing 2-0 win for everton um and we're gonna get close to it we've got to really look to this fulham west brom match I'm just saying, dude, you say this about Pickford, but he literally cost him the game against Leicester today. Like, he literally made a mistake that led directly to a goal. Like, yeah. And I'm, also, that's, he that's does fine. that. He does that every. And, and well, that's the thing. No, there's about one thing you're missing. You're missing something very important. What? Newcastle has to get close to goal in order for him to make I'm, a mistake. You say this, but. Every single time we've played Everton with Pickford, he does the same thing. And it's yes. and it's like regardless of the Everton manager. Better. It doesn't Everton matter if better. they're better. It's it's like if Newcastle get anywhere near the goal, which they've gotten close. Like Newcastle had shots. Like that is something that has occurred. They just suck at scoring. 
And so now you you get shots with a guy who just makes mistakes against you. I don't know. I think it's a mental thing because Pickford literally has not had a single good match against Newcastle. Like I've, I, it's actually insane. He always makes mistakes, uh, specifically against Newcastle. Regardless of how good or bad the other team was, even when we we played Everton earlier this season, they played really well. But Pickford still made a mistake. Like it's just it's ingrained in his head that he's going to make mistakes, especially against Newcastle. They honestly, the, after this season, they should just move on. Like, there's no reason to like, like I don't know. They would they would already be in fourth if it wasn't for Jordan Pickford. Like, they just would be. It's actually insane. Uh yeah, that's it. They're gonna lose two nothing. Newcastle. It's written written in the stars. Um, Elijah, do you have any last words? I'm just I'm I'm telling you, Greg. I like. I mean, we we beat them this year. I know, and they oh, didn't have Hamas. They didn't have Hamas, but, we're, but we're not, there's no way. Yes, I'm just telling you, dude. If there's if there's any if there's any person that could right the wrongs of this Newcastle season, it's Jordan Pickford. He's going to come through for us once again and make some mistake. Like if there's like everyone's talking about how oh yes, like there's all these te- every week. It seems like a team is looking to turn around their season by playing Newcastle. Newcastle could turn around their season by playing against Jordan Pickford. So I'm just going to go all in on that train. Like it does, like it will not be a deserved draw by any means. It will be a Jordan Pickford mistake, but that's going to bring some confidence because that's a result. That's all. That's all Newcastle need at this point is a result. They'd be fine. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to conclude it then Elijah. That is the end of episode 163 of CHN radio. Uh, I'm your host, Greg Troxell, and that is the best damn co-host and best damn site manager in the land, Elijah Newsom. Uh, let's get three points. Why Why don't we just get three points? Let's just yeah, go sure. do it. Why not? Jordan Pickford's <laughs> going to gift it to us and turn around the season. I'm telling you, Greg, it's going to happen. He's going to make a crucial error. It's yeah, just bound to happen. Three points. We're getting three points. Let's do it. Okay, sure. We'll see you soon. Boy, the last. Love you guys. Never win the cup again. I'll pray the dark gets in James's park if the gallery gets into the rain. I'm coming home. And I'm proud to be a Jody and to live in Jody land. Some people think we're bawdy and we're hard to understand. And they say it's just self pity. And we're not so very tough Cause the people in the big fat city Haven't had it off as well I'm coming home, Newcastle You can keep your London wine I've walked the streets all day I'll meet for a bottle of the River Tyne I'm coming home, Newcastle I wish I'd never been away I'd kiss the ground for the welcome sound And me mother saying, hey, how we I'm coming home The old blind busker who stands at Fenwick's door He plays a mean accordion, you've all seen him there before And I love the Geordie heroes, there's so many famous names Like Lindisfarne in Gaza, Brendan Foster in the Gateshead Games I'm coming home, Newcastle, I might as well have been in jail 
I'd walk the streets all day I'll need for a bottle of your own brown ale I'm coming home, Newcastle If you never win the cup again I'll brave the dog in St. James's Park In the Gallagher Tend in the rain I'm coming home, Newcastle You can keep your London wine Walk the streets all day I'll meet for a bottle of the river tide I'm coming home, Newcastle I wish I'd never been away I'd kiss the ground for the welcome sound And me mother saying, hey, how we I'm coming home, Newcastle I might as well have been in jail I'd walk the streets all day I'll meet for a bottle of your own brown ale I'm coming home, Newcastle If you never win the cup again Brave the dog is in James's pocket, the